Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled, it's a big title, it's as big as our guest himself, Crystal Coast Backwater Kayak Fishing. And I'm not sure if we're going late fall or winter, but that's our mouthful. That's what we're doing. Crystal Coast Backwater Kayak Fishing in late fall. We're going to be talking to Captain Joe Tunstall of Carolina Guide Service, Carolina Traditions Guide Co. out of the Moorhead Beaufort area. And we're going to be covering where and when, what, gear, and how, basically everything you need to know. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been offering fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often with the true goal, not just being more fish more often, but to get you and your family and friends out on the water and spend more time together more often. And in that mission and to serve that mission, I'm joined by my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Welcome to another episode, Billy. Gary, good to see you, man. How are you been? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm I'm doing all right. I'm settled into this fall weather, and uh, I'm very excited to talk to our guest tonight, Joe Tunstall, one of my one of my favorites, and he is going to make my job easy, man. He's got so much to share. I'm just going to sit back and let him go. Yeah, man. It's funny, you know, a little pre-show action. He might make this show or this episode easy for you, but I know when you guys go kayak fishing, I hope he puts you through the works and takes pictures and videos and all that kind of stuff. So I am very excited to, to go kayak fishing with Joe. Very excited. Oh man, well I don't want to get on his boat. I don't want to be on his boat. I want to be on a kayak. Well, you don't want to be on a boat. You don't. You want to be on a kayak. All right. I guess Marine Warehouse, they just feel left out in this episode, right? They're like, wait a second. Why are we sponsoring? Well, we're going to boat the kayaks to where we want to go fish. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. And to do that, you guys need a boat with Marine Warehouse. So I'm going to play a little quick video from Gary, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have at Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. All right, there you go, Gary. There was love Terrell. those guys. Best part is working with the people and telling them jokes. They are. They're part of the community. We say that in every podcast. I'll say it again right now. They don't want to just sell to the fishing boating community. They want to be a part of the boating and fishing community, whether that's sales, service, or parts. And I applaud them for that, man. I'm, you know, love this relationship and hope we're doing a good job of getting the word out about it. Yeah, man. They they always you're right. And that's the biggest thing, you know, when we bring on sponsors for the show, it's it's not just who writes us checks, but it's who really fits the audience that we're trying to, and then really the community we're trying to build. So those guys have been doing it for years. So it was just a perfect, you know, perfect fit for them to be a part of the show. And 
uh, man, they, it seems like we've been having a good time. I know we've been having a good time, and like you said, hopefully they have too. So go go support our sponsors. And I'll shout out another sponsor real quick while we're talking about sponsors. It's R.A. Hitch, Hitch's Trailers, Bike Racks, and so much more. Anything you need to get your your truck ready. I know a lot of people who, who boat and fish, they do a lot more stuff. They've got bikes and all kinds of stuff and uh, travel. So go see Chris and his team and tell them the Fish Post guy sent you and see if they'll give you 20 bucks off. Gary, we have a new sponsor, Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, as you can see, they've been around for a really long time, since 1976. And uh, Kurt, the CEO of Bland, reached out to me and said, we love your show, we want to sponsor, and, uh, and we want to recruit people. So it's not just trying to find new business, as I'm sure they'll take it, but they are looking for good people to come work for them, to make a career change to come over there. So if you are wanting to work outdoors or or be outdoors. They have a really great company to do that. Go to blandlandscaping.com slash careers. And they're really looking for people who are excited to wake up early, get go to work, get the work done, and be able to go home and get on the water and be with their family and friends. That's who they're looking for. They are outdoors men and women, and that's what they're looking to do. So they're hiring locations all over the state of North Carolina. So go to their website, blandlandscaping.com slash careers and see if they have a job that's right for you. You want to see a fish picture? I think I got one. I do. Here we go. Here we go. Brian Brown caught this 22-inch redfish on top of water while fishing Queens Creek in Swansboro. A good-looking fish. Great-looking beard. <laughs> really good-looking fish. <laughs> right off of a looks like a nice wilderness kayak. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I like that picture. That was a good picture. Hey, uh, speaking of kayaks, Terrell gave me a joke. Oh, perfect. Uh, Terrell of Marine a, Warehouse. A kayak joke? A kayak joke. <laughs> I'm ready. How about that? That's what, perfect. what are the odds that he would give me a kayak joke the very same week I am filming a kayak fishing podcast? I mean, it's uncanny. I mean. You tipped him off, maybe. If only the joke was as good as his, you know, instinct. But are, are you ready? I'm ready when you are, Gary. And this is a kayak joke. This is not a political joke i need to preface that before i say this what does donald trump call two kayaks <laughs> i can't believe you said like this is not a political joke donald trump, i mean like how's okay anyway i don't know he calls two kayaks look i'm what? risky well terrell's risky it's not <laughs> me this is terrell's joke <laughs> all right so donald trump two kayaks what does he call it what does he call two kayaks yep fake canoes <laughs> right that's my favorite one so far <laughs> favorite one i um, gotta say terrell surprised me yeah that was a good job i Terrell. think this is his best one fake canoes dude by go. far is his best one gary by far all right billy i'm gonna go talk to joe tunstall joe's gonna give all kinds of information man i i love his delivery i love his knowledge base and when we're done, when I'm done talking with Joe, I'm coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway. Billy's I'll be best ready, takeaway. Gary. I'll be ready. All right. Well, now it is my pleasure to introduce to the show Captain Joe Tunstall of Carolina Traditions Guide Co. out of the Moorhead, Beaufort area. Welcome back to the show, Joe. A pleasure to have you. Thank you, Gary. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate y'all inviting me to talk a little bit about something I enjoy doing, and that's kayak fishing, especially in the fall and winter. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, I was. Uh, I love that we put this topic together a little while ago. I've been sitting on it, been waiting to talk to you. But as you know, as tradition goes, you got two questions to get through before we get to the main event. Are you ready for your two questions, sir? 
Hit, hit me, Gary. Question number one, why should we listen to anything you have to say about kayak fishing? Because at least if I don't know it, I got a good way of telling it. <laughs> That's pretty good. That is a great answer, huh? Not, well, that then we'll go right to the question number two. Um, so I picked up from your name. You have your Carolina Traditions Guide Co. I like that abbreviation at the end of your name. I like it. I think it has good poise. So your question here comes from abbreviations. Do you know these popular text abbreviations? All right. Are you ready for these popular text abbreviations? All right. G G N O C. I don't know what that means, Gary. Get naked on camera. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that one. All right. All right. Are you ready for the second? I got three. Are you ready for the second one? Yes, sir. T D T M. I don't know what that one means either. Talk dirty to me. <laughs> Gary, did you sorry to interrupt you guys, right. but did you find these on your kid's phone and like did a Google search? How did you what in the world? Google search, man. I got good kids. I got real good kids. They would never do anything like this. <laughs> sure. All right, last one. This is your last chance. C Y A. Uh see ya. It is see ya. I picked a non-dirty one and I thought I could get you. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Joe, that was fantastic. Thanks for playing. All right. Crystal Coast uh, backwater kayak fishing with emphasis like on late fall, winter fishing. And uh I know it's one of your favorites, like we talked about it several times. And so we're talking about late fall, winter, but I still think we're talking about, I guess, when first, just to clarify a little bit more, and then we'll switch, and then we'll slide into where? All right. Yes, sir. So we'll, we'll kind of start, I guess, at the latter part of this month. Um, you're going to start having more northeast winds, uh, cooler nights. Um, rainfalls are going to be a little cooler, so that's going to start cooling the water temperatures down. Um, that northeast wind in a lot of this area is going to, you know, increase the water level. So that's going to uh, also help cool things down. You're going to be putting water in the evening times up, up in the marsh areas and stuff like that. And, and what that's going to do is that's going to push a lot of the bait off the beach. Uh, well, once that bait starts getting pushed off the beach, the fish will feel the call. Um, I guess the call for fall, as I've been saying for the last two weeks. But um and inevitably, what they're going to start doing is they're going to change from their summer patterns, which are going to be uh, areas that produce more oxygen, areas that stay cooler in the summer. And they're going to start pushing back to areas that are going to hold a more consistent temperature in the fall and winter. Um, hey, man, I'm, when, Joe, I got to cut you off. I, I got it because right. I didn't set you up well. Here's the problem is that this is going to air in November. OK, so. You were just telling me about the October, end of October sort of change. And this is going to air in mid-November. So right. if you're talking about the air is just starting to cool and stuff, it's not going to make as much sense when we're in November. All right. That's cool. We can go yeah. back and do it from yeah. November on. So, so, yeah, man, I, th I think the question was good. So, uh, you know, just like the where and when. So I don't, I'm not going to re-record the question. But now just answer the question thinking this is going to air in like mid-November. November forward. Gotcha. No problem. Okay, man. All right. Yep. You got that, Billy? Yep. I got it. You guys are good. Okay, man. He's going to 
so start from my question. All right, what about when, and then we'll slide into where. All right, the the when Gary is going to be. Uh, we're talking November, all the way through January for me. You know, um, so in November you're going to start having some harder northeasters, and what they're going to do is they're going to rapidly cool that water down fast, and that's going to put us into our winter temperature pattern. Uh, so at this point, moving through the early part of the fall, the fish have already started staging past some of the pinch points and moving into the back creeks, which is where kayak fishing excels. Some of these back creek areas are narrow. They're quieter as we move into the wintertime from November through January. Uh, and then as we're moving into that time of the year, stealth matters. Um, you'll see a lot of smaller boats in the back creeks. You'll be shifting from the pinch points to these narrower tailwater type areas of, of estuaries, uh, areas like you have in uh, Slocum Creek, Kahoogie, South River, uh, in this area, um, other areas down south, you know, New River Inlet, places like that. Uh, they'll be moving further back into these areas because what you're gonna have is you're gonna have uh, more trees or marsh grass around there and, you're going to have a softer bottom that's going to usually be darker in color and it's going to hold its temperature better. Um, a lot of these areas, again, are going to be narrower, quieter areas where it's harder to fit your typical fishing boats in, uh, you know, your 20-foot skivs and somewhere in that area. So being able to slide a, a 12 to 14-foot kayak back in there and have the right equipment and be there at the right time is, is, is where the key is as far as, you know, moving through November from January into kayak fishing. And so, but January isn't a cutoff. Will you still have the same action even February? Like, is this year round possibilities or does it ultimately get too cold that you just got to give them a break? No, I can fish through February. It'll start changing again. And I, and I think as much of it has to do with daylight the amount of sunlight that we get per day as it does temperature. You'll start having some warmer breaks in the latter part of February and then into March, and then they'll be shifting a pattern again. They'll be moving back out of the tailwaters, and you'll have the slime grass that makes up in the back of these creeks will get real thick. Uh, I think it has to do with the sunlight thing, um, photosynthesis, if you will. But um, January will about peak out for me and then i'll start shifting to puppy drum mainly still doing that from the kayak but i'll be doing more focused on puppy drum and back bays in february march april and then well that sounds good as far as the where and you you already got us going on the where you name dropped some creeks and and started talking about the habitat you know pinch point some other things so maybe just clarify a little bit more because some people you know, might be fishing those areas. Some people might be using this knowledge to try to better understand their own backyards and do some winter kayak fishing. I mean, I, I think anyone would be smart to call you and actually go on a trip and, and see this all firsthand. But what are the, what are the environments that you're looking at here in like late November, December into January? Absolutely, Gary. I'm, I'm, I'm back in tail waters then as you would have it like, um, uh, you take an area like South River, you go way back up into the backs of those creeks where you're going to have uh, water depths that can be anywhere from three and a half to 12 foot of water, depending on how far back these creeks go. Um, I mean, I found 12 foot of water pretty far back in some of these creeks, you know, especially around a bend or something like that. And so 
what you have just to elaborate a little for you is you have these real marshy areas as far as you look like if you stood up on top of your boat and looked, all you see is um marsh grass so what happens when you have these northerly winds and this, these moon phases that you have through December, January, and into February, is you're going to have this high water that gets back up in these grasses. And so when that times out with sunrise and you have, imagine if you will, a bunch of water laid back in this grass, the sun's getting high, the wind's not getting to that water to cool it down faster, the water's going to warm up. And so as that water warms up, as it falls back out, you're having a uh, eight to up to a 15 degree dump of warmer water. That's 15 degrees increase from what say you would measure the temperature first thing in the morning when you get out to a spot. Um, so it's not a thing that you have to do first thing in the morning. I've actually done better uh, around the higher part of the sun. So from 11 to 1:30, and that water is going to warm up as it drains out of that marsh area and you're going to have a warmer influx of water. The bait's not going to have anywhere to hide. And so then these fish are going to activate with the warmer temperatures and the influx of bait. Uh, and if you're in there in the kayak, you're making your moves right. You're fishing the right stuff. You're in the right place at the right time. Um, you're, you're going to have activity, but you need an area where the warmer water flows out of the marsh into the cut of the Creek, if you would. So there's a, uh... 12 foot holes or the deeper water aren't necessarily where you're targeting for fish, but they're important to have close by because the fish want to have them close by. I think that the deeper, I think that the deeper holes just illustrate how much water can be held in some of these back Creek areas. If, if people never ventured back into them, um, I'm sure that it plays a part in, in breaking down the ecosystem, the type of ecosystems that we're talking about. Um, but more or less, a lot of these fish I've caught in two and a half, three and a half to five foot of water. Uh, I do fish the deeper holes and they can gather up in those deeper holes. But I think that just goes to show like, you know, take an aquarium, for example, if it's just all low water, you're not going to have any fluctuations of temperature or, or as many fluctuations of temperature. You, you take water temperature changes as you get deeper in depth, you know, you can have different different temperature blocks at different depths of water. And, and I think as the tide falls out of an area, a lot of my areas are really tidal. I know that some of the people that will listen to this, the, the areas that they fish won't be as tidal, like areas around the noose and stuff like that. Um, but having that deeper water probably helps give a more consistent temperature is what I think. Okay. And so the shallower water, so anyone sort of thinking about their own backyard, it's shallower water back up in the creeks, um, some areas that might not even see that much water unless the tide's high or the wind's pushed it in and not in the morning, but later in the day. So we have sun enough to sort of warm it up. And, and that's sort of the, the general recipe. If I were to plant you somewhere else along the coast, that would be what you'd be looking for in, in November, December. Yes, sir. That's right. If, if I was to go to a different area, I would look for one of two things like areas around the noose where you don't have as much tide as the areas that I fish. I'm going to look for the, the side of the, the side of the creek that has the most sunlight in the winter months and will also consistently find more moving water based on consistent uh, wind direction. So we have like northeast, northwest wind. Um, 
a lot of that in the, in the winter months, the following winter months that I'm going to look for points that have water being driven around those points or shorelines that have water being driven down that shoreline or areas that uh, coincide with that, that also have more exposure to sunlight during the daytime. Whereas if you're going to move me to a tidal area, like, you know, Wilmington, places like that, I'm going to look for deep creeks that go pretty far back that, that the water will flood into the marsh area and then drain down and, and have maximum exposure to sunlight. So they're going to warm up the fastest that have a consistent muddy texture on the bottom. Um, those areas that the dark mud on the bottom, the dark thicker mud is going to warm up and hold its temperature better. And then the areas that have a lot of marsh around them, uh, real extensive marsh areas that, that high water is going to flow into those marsh areas. As that sun rises, it's going to warm that area. Like, for example, keeping water in a glass and putting it outside versus putting water in a plate. The water that you would put in a plate is going to warm up faster opposed to the water that you would have in a glass, um, especially in the wintertime. Uh, it also is privy to freeze faster too, but as the sun warms up, it will also warm as fast as it'll cool, sometimes even faster. And so th that would be what I would look for. If you move me to a different area, I, I would feel confident that I'd be able to find fish anywhere based on, on those few principles. I like it. I like the, I mean, I like the sound logic applied. Um, in our show notes, we have what next? I mean, is the what as simple as red drum and trout? Yes, sir. Uh, well, I've seen in my kayak adventures over the past years, um, I started messing around with the kayaks when I worked at Duke University uh, in 2006, 2007. Um, I just kind of dabbled in it a little bit, and then I really got into it about six years ago, seven years ago. And uh, there, there are other people that probably spend more time on the kayaks, but when I'm fishing for fun on my own time, I like to be on the kayak. So, um I'm going to focus on some of the areas that I've been in. I've seen last winter we were fishing area, catching nice trout on, on, um, uh, we were using soft dines or soft deans, mirror lure soft deans, the old Paul Browns. And, uh, we saw a 60 or 70 pound black drum back in one of the areas that we were trout fishing. And you can catch trout over here in this flat. And then on this point, you can catch some drum and then, you know, you might, you know, have something with some procure or a gulf out there and you might catch a black drum. Um, so really, and, and through November, it's talking about November when, when we're, you know, figuring on, on this adventure starting, uh, you could catch big sea mullet. You could still be catching a few big bluefish. You could catch some gray trout in some of these areas that I fish, but what we're primarily focusing on, it will be red drum and speckled trout. And so, the next note is gear and, you know, gearing up. So I guess we'll, we'll go into gearing up, but like when you head out, are you always geared up for trout or red drum? Or do you go out thinking I'm predominantly trout with red drum on the side or vice versa? You know, that that's, that's a really, I think that's a really important part of kayak fishing. Um, I, I myself, and I've also seen others who started out, um, I'm going to carry a bunch of gear out because I don't know what to change. You know, I might need this. I might need that. I might need to, you know what, that, that takes away from it for me. I, I carry a, a bunch of gear with me when I run charters. Uh, even though I'm, I'm, I'm more minimalist than some, I still have a lot of gear that I can sort through. So when I go out on the kayak, 
I like to try to pick my very best things that I have the most confidence in. And I like to take those things with me. Um, one thing else I like about kayak fishing is, is, is I force myself to break down an area that I'm fishing in because I just can't fire up my engine or I can't cover as much ground with that trolling motor. So I force myself to, to break down and fish that area and figure out when it's holding the fish, where the fish are holding at and what time of day and what to use. So I've kind of dialed it in where each season I'll transition some gear. I know that right now they're aggressive. They're hungry. I'm speaking of trout and drum. There's a lot of bait around because it's getting moved. So right now I'll have a lot of gear. By the time we get into November through January, I'm going to be dialing my gear in. I might have one or two top waters. Um, you know, I tried it. Most of what I carry, uh, this is a box that I made. You see, it's not very big. I've got everything that I need in this box. And I actually had it at, at the seminars, but I've got everything that I need to start with in this box. And you see, it's pretty messy in there, but it's got a little bit of everything. It's got a variety of jigs. And I've got some hard baits in there, you know, different hard baits, different mirror lures, uh, popping cork rigs. I've got these crazy rigs, DOA shrimp. I don't know if I'm working cameras, got these crazy rig DOA shrimp, you know. So as far as, and a, and a spoon, I never go without a spoon um, because you catch trout or drum. But primarily with the trout, I'm going to be working mirrodines or soft plastic for those trout. Um, and I try to minimize what I carry with me. You know, I, I, there's, you know, I got a variety of options in that box, but that's about the extent of what I'm going to carry. And then as we move into the winter, I'm going to be more into hard baits, you know, and that's, that was one thing I was going to say about having the right boxes. You know, I got small boxes that are very waterproof because I may fish in the rain and you see there's quite a few mirrodines in there. Um, and that's really more than you need, but you know how it is when you got mirror, mirror lures, you, you, you know, it's kind of like matchbox cars. You, you just get a whole bunch of them, <laughs> but, uh, I could really narrow that down to three or four colors and take that with me. But, but about two boxes like that, some leader, something to cut the leader with, um, that's pretty much the most of what I'm going to take. Um, but yes, I'll transition my gear through each season. Um, I'll, I'll sort it out, change it out. Um, and, and the time of year that we're going to be talking about from November through January is going to be mostly uh, paddle tails, jerk shads, and, and mirrodines. Uh, I, I use a 27 to 18 and a 17 when I go out. I will keep a top water because I've had occasions where the trout roll up on a flat in the backs of these creeks, and they're really fired up chasing mullet just like it's summertime busting bait on the surface and everything so don't ever be surprised what you can see i will say that i pretty much put the popping corks away once we get into december um after about the 14th i'm, I'm pretty much done with any popping cork fishing it'll be more fishing off the structure on the bottom or the ledges and uh how many rods you usually go have on your boat on your kayak when you pedal out that's a great question i don't like to change up a lot so I'll have anywhere from two to four rods. Um, I use a lot of bait casters. I did grab a couple of rods that I have with me. Um, there are rods designed specifically for kayak fishing. Do you have to have those? No. I go out there with whatever your gear is. 
Uh, one thing I have learned is that some rods that are a little tougher tend to do a little bit better in the event of snagging one with, with another rod. Um, so I will not put my more delicate, my favorite ultralight trout rod. I might not put that on the boat, um, on the kayak, but, um, you know, really any equipment, there's no reason to say, well, I can't go kayak fishing cause I don't have a rod built for kayak fishing. I, I fished for years without rods built for kayak fishing. Um, it does have an advantage, but, but yeah, I usually run, um, two to four, depending on what I'm doing. I'd say wintertime trout fishing three is kind of the magic number for me. And then what about, what about other gear that someone might, might not be thinking about? Cause we are talking about wintertime on the water, which comes with a certain amount of risk and where, where a certain level of preparation is almost always rewarded. What else are we talking about for a winter excursion, backwater kayak fishing? I know you will, Gary. I figured you'd ask me that because that's one thing that a lot of people get struggle on. So some people like to wear chest waders. I have worn chest waders while I'm kayak fishing. I do not like it. Um, I would recommend some good. I actually wear some Columbia. Don't let my AFCO guy hear that. But I actually wear some Columbia snowboarding pants that a buddy told me about. And they're very good pants. They're very waterproof. They have multiple zippers in them. So when you get too hot as the sun comes up and you're paddling hard against the current, you can open those zippers up and, and get a little ventilation. Um, I usually wear 12 or 16 inch boots because you never know when, when something may happen and you'll have to walk through the marsh or get out of the marsh and, and answer a call of nature or something like that. Um, and then I'll usually wear, um, if, it, if it's good and cold, I'll have like a, a polypro or a, um, you know, a, a good base layer on. And then I'll add um, like a, a, a medium base layer, like a fleece, a lightweight fleece. And then I'll add, I have a winter, winter rain jacket by AFCO that I wear. That's a heavier weight jacket, uh, Gore-Tex. And so that's pretty much how my gear boils down. And, and sometimes even when I leave with those, those snowboarding pants on, I'll have shorts on underneath of them because they're, they're plenty warm enough. Um, there are other tricks to the trade. Uh, I do wear gloves. Uh, I just wear wool gloves. I wear wool gloves by Fish Monkey. Uh, they tend to do the best for getting my hands wet and, and drying off quickly. Uh, something to be said for the, the amazing breathability of wool. Um, I always wear glasses. I never, you know, to me, polarized glasses, I'd leave, leave the dock without one of my thumbs as opposed to a polarized glass. Um, you, you probably want, uh, I wear those fleece lined buffs is what I like to wear in the wintertime. You can take it off if you get too hot, but when you're in a, in a good hard wind and you got that rain jacket up, that, that buff or gator sealing up around your neck can help hold a lot of temperature in. Um, cause I'm usually out there in the wintertime for between three and five hours and, I, and I've spent seven or eight hours out on the kayak before in the wintertime. And some of my best fishing is, is in January. Um, Another little trick, let's see, I get that right. So most kayaks have scuppers in them. And in the wintertime, I don't want that water in there. And so this is a little hack that I found online. And all these are these practice putting balls. See if I can get this where we can see it. Put it in front of your face. There you go. Yeah, it has... Um, you can probably cut a bottle open, but I just went and bought some Teflon and plastic washers. 
and then there's some paracord that holds it all together like so and then i have these night eyes metal twist wraps is what i use so um these i can stuff in the scupper holes they stop the water from coming in um you know if you get water in the boat when it's raining you'll have to keep one of them out but you know i you know when that water starts to get cold down in the 50s i i don't want that that water in the boat you know when it's raining it's a little bit different story you kind of have to deal with it but when it's not raining i keep that water out of the boat uh, another thing that i don't like to leave leave without are my my fish grips so um i put a lanyard on my fish grips you see i've got this clip so what i can do with this clip it's on a it's on like a 80 pound mono lanyard i'll clip that in to something on my kayak i'll keep this fish grip hooked to the fish leave them in the water you get to catching a nice fish or whatever you can leave leave them on the fish grip and leave it in the water uh, i learned that from a buddy of mine who was in the tagging program for speckled trout and that's how he did it um so you know our boca grip i got a boca over here but i like the fish grip because it because it floats um you know and, and it locks in locks in pretty well too um i carry my yeti canteen with me you know i think i got like the 40 some ounce canteen I like to have plenty of water a lot of people overlook hydrating when it's cold um you know it's just as important for your body to hydrate in the cold as it is uh in the summer uh that hydration helps maintain body temperature um you know and it's, it's hard because you have to set your kayak up for packing gear you know and being able to store gear another reason why i like to travel minimal when it comes to my actual tackle in the winter for for carrying more gear and that is a great conversation i mean a fantastic conversation so I want to make sure we have time to talk about some applications. So I'm going to push you right into let's start with trout and then we'll go redfish. So first on trout, help us out. How do we, we're out there in the winter time. We've been trying to follow your advice on environmental conditions and where to target. Give us some other insights as to how to catch a trout from a kayak in the winter months. All right. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty particular. Um, when I'm, I like to try to get back to a creek that I know is holding the fish. I'll get back to that creek on the last of the incoming tide if I can. You know, I'm talking idealistically. I'll follow that incoming tide all the way as far back in the creek as I want to go. I'll mess around back there, and I'll see when the tide starts to change. And I'll do just like a redfish. I'll start riding that tide back out. Um, I'll ride it back out and I don't, I don't fish with, a, with a pedal boat. I got a lot of buddies who do fish pedal boats, but I, I specifically like paddle boats, you know, um, traditional style. And what I fish is a, is a Diablo. It's a, it's a hybrid between, uh, a paddle board, uh, a paddle board and a kayak. And I like that because it's stable and it's big. It's pretty fast. It doesn't maneuver real good, but I don't always need it to, to make a lot of hairpin turns. I need it to be stable. And, and move stealthy and quick through the water, um, and, and it will. Um, you know, and I'll ride that tide out, and I'll actually try to ride it where it's putting me. You know, you follow what I'm saying? It, it, the, the, the water is flowing out of the creek, and I'll let it set me on a bank, and I'll stop there and fish. And I'll throw something that I can cover ground pretty quick with, which isn't a mirror lure. I'll start throwing uh, paddle tails or jerk shads. I'll run them with 3 eighths three sixteenths, 
uh, quarter ounce, sometimes eighth ounce jig heads. But when I'm when I'm kayak fishing, I like a little heavier jig head, and I'll ride ride that out, and I'll be just slicing the pie as I move through that creek, uh, cutting these different areas that look fishy to me. And when I have a strike, I'll, I'll push myself over against the marsh bank, and I'll work that area a little more thoroughly. Um, and when I have the right strike, and I know it's a big fish, uh, I use a sticket pin. Uh, you know, there's different ways of doing it. You can buy clips that clip in the marsh grass. I don't, I do not like mushroom anchors and, and whatnot. I, I don't, I don't like any of that. Um, I like to move very stealthy and very indigenously to the environment that I'm fishing in. So I'll let the current set me up on a bank right where it wanted to set me because I feel like there's a reason that that current sets me on that bank and trout. If you'll watch anything that Speckled Truth has to say, they'll set that, they'll, they'll set up behind a point, behind a rock, behind an outcropping, behind a, a, a slough that runs out of some little creek that comes out of the creek. I'm talking a little pocket of water running out of the marsh grass into the creek that you're fishing. They'll set up behind that because all that influences how the water's flowing through that area. And they'll set up behind that area where they don't have to work to stay head to the, the, the current. Um, and, and usually, um, if you're finding a bunch of little fish, you're wasting your time unless you just want to catch a limit. You're going to have to move away from those little fish to find a big fish. And that's something a lot of people have a hard time doing and a lot of people don't understand, but I, I tell you, it's the truth. Um, those big fish will either be ahead of those little fish or they'll be behind them. And they may be in groups of, of two, they may be in groups of four, and they're usually going to give you one shot. You can get one shot at catching that, that big trout, and that's why a lot of people fish their whole lives and never catch 30-inch fish. Um, they find those little fish and keep plucking through those numbers and look for the big fish, or they'll have that one shot and not realize it was a big fish. Um, I, I've worked the spot consistently for weeks, dialing in where the big fish were. Just keep dialing it in and dialing it in and dialing it in until I get it figured out. I've consistently had the same tap here every time. And so until finally I can let the tide set me in the right spot and I can throw that mirror dean out where it's getting exactly the right presentation, drifting down into that little outcropping and, and bam. There she was. She tapped it. I dropped it back to her, gave her a shot. Um, you know, that that's kind of the trick. You have to discipline yourself. If you want to catch nice fish on a kayak, you need to discipline yourself to, to refine it and find where you're missing those fish at, those more subtle areas. Uh, if you just want to go out and have a good time, which is what everybody needs to do if they have a kayak, then, then you can find those, those deeper holes that we were talking about earlier, Gary, and you can find those bigger fish knotted up. Sometimes you can make every cast as, as fast as you can cast it for 45 minutes. You can catch these fish. And I'm talking December and January, you know, so um, that that's on the falling tide, high part of the sun uh, through the winter months. Um, and then on the higher water, you're going to focus on the flat in that area. The mouth of every one of these creeks has a flat. Uh, those flats will have oyster rocks embedded in them. And it seems to me that, that those fish uh, move out onto those flats on the higher water. Think about it. It's shallower. It's going to warm up faster. They've got a better opportunity to find the bait on those flats. And then as that water falls out, 
and that sun gets high, they're going to move further back up into those creeks. It took me, uh, took me about two, you know, two or three years to figure that out. Man. Uh, I, I like, it. are you, uh, are you seeing many fish? I mean, when you're like going up river or taking it all the way up to the, as far as you can, and then even drifting are are you able to see much action with that clear water or is it, man, these fish, you know, just know how to be hidden. Sometimes no, Gary, sometimes I don't see anything. Um, now I will say that I'll be seeing those red drum, those slot drum. I'll be seeing those from November through December, depending on how cold it gets. You may see them, you'll hear a pop, you know, and they'll, they'll hit a mullet over here. But I've also fished schools of, of red drum that, that were swimming around, uh, large, large pods of, of mullet meadows in, in some of these flats. And they don't even, they don't even waste the energy to try to eat them. Um, so not really. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that early on when I was kind of starting this quest. And um, I would get back and sometimes I would see nothing, absolutely nothing. And I'd be real discouraged. You know, I'm like, man, whatever. I'm going to have a nice paddle and get out of the house. Um, other times I was like, uh, geez, this is going to be great. They're busting bait everywhere. But, but more often than not, I don't see nothing until the conditions start to get right. Now, once the conditions start to get right, um, I'll see those, those big mullets start to come out of the back of the creek. And it'll usually be within a few minutes after those big mullet move out of the back of the creek is when I'll start seeing some little mullet get chased around, you know, or, or I'll hear a, you know, I'll hear a trout snap the surface or something like that. And then I'll be like, yep, yeah, about to be on now. And then there's been other days where I don't, I don't really see anything, you know, everything that they're doing is subsurface. It's down there two and a half, three and a half foot of water. And they're just sitting there, you know, riding that warm water, hiding in that leeward section, waiting for that bait to swim by so they can grab it. You know, so you don't always see anything. Well, what about, uh, so our conversation about going up, up Creek and then coming out with the tide, how does your approach change if you're, if I have you and I say, Hey man, I don't, I don't, I don't want to catch a trout today. I want to really focus in on red drum. How does, how does your approach change? All right. We're going to get, we're going to go to a different area. If we want to focus on red drum, we're going to go to big shallow bays that have uh, dark soft mud in them. I will look for oysters, marsh grass, and, and maybe some docks or something like that. But I'm going to look for big shallow bays that uh, on low tide, part of them will at least have enough water to conceal a crab pot. Uh, or at least you'll only be able to see the top of that crab pot or the first few inches. And and when I look for those red drum, um, they're, they're almost always going to be somewhere in that bay and, and and that's when you can find those big numbers of fish, man. I mean, I, I know I told you about it when you came down with me last spring. We were a little off in our timing, time we got together. But uh, it's not uncommon to find some really big numbers of, of you know, upper slot and over fish and, and plenty of slot fish in the winter. Um, and you, And that's the opposite of the trout. Now, you may see, uh, I, I've seen numbers I'd rather not say on the, on the you know, podcast here because people would probably be skeptical without knowing me but i've seen some pretty large numbers of fish in these back bays and and let's just say you see 50 or 60 fish and you might have five bites through, through the whole course of the time that you're back there fishing uh, i'm going to be using paddle tails 
gold spoons, and I'm going to work a little bit more of a of a wounded bait fish mentality. I'm going to let that paddle tail, I'm going to keep the procure on it, and I'm going to let that paddle tail hit the bottom and sit there a little while when I feel like I'm around where a fish should be. And when I'm working those gold spoons, I'm going to work it a slower, more consistent pattern, and I'm going to stop it and let it kind of roll around, and I'm going to pick it up again. And I'm going to do that, and I'm going to try to antagonize that fish in the winter months and get him to, to instinctually strike that spoon because he's mad at it. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're going to want to switch more to your bays and stuff, your big, flat, open bays that are going to have more exposure to sunlight. Uh, they're going to hold their temperature better. Uh, you'll probably see mullet in those bays, uh, different size mullet, most likely. Uh, you're, you're mostly going to be seeing a few crabs in, in those areas. In wintertime, you might not see any crab crab pots or may just be a few in there, uh, one in a bay or something like that, just, you know, whatever, so the guy knows where to go or whatever. But uh, that's how I'm going to shift my focus in the wintertime. Man, that sounds uh, good. I tell you what, like, I, I'm going to bring this pocket. We could go on. I mean, I could go and ask a lot more detail about the trout and the red drum, but I think we've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish with this podcast. Maybe we revisit it at a later time. But before we say goodbye, I mean, I want to make sure that people know that. So tell us what boat you run, you know, not kayak, but what boat you run. And then give us the rundown because someone might say, man, I'd really like to go kayak fishing with this dude, but I just don't know if I'm on board for a winter trip. Tell me what else you do. How do you accommodate people who want to book you for a, a kayak charter trip? What else are you doing throughout the year when you're not out there in the wintertime? All right. Well, let's see. I, I, I run two boats. I got a 23 Seahawk and a 22 Jones Brothers Bateau. So I can, I can you know, keep you in the boat and we can do about anything that you want to do. I'll go up in those, some of those same back creeks that I kayak fish in the winter months on that Jones brothers, especially when we have a good trout bite, I'll be running, you know, trout trips on, on, on that Jones brothers all winter long. And then, you know, we can go up to the areas of the Noose river that I fish on that Seahawk or that Jones brothers. And we can fish some of those larger areas like Dawson's Creek and Oriental places like that. Um, you know, so I, I can kind of accommodate you through the winter. If you've got the gear and the willingness to go on, on, on either one of those boats, or if you really want to kayak fish, but you don't want to paddle real far, uh, we can throw those kayaks on one of those boats and we can go to an area and we can do a, a brief mothership trip. You know, we can we can hit a couple of spots in a day, get out and kayak for a little while, you know, and it, I kind of can do about whatever. You know, I do everything myself and I'm, I'm confident doing it with the right clients, uh, you know, and we'll also do some stuff. Uh, well, by the time you're talking about February, I'm starting to get geared up with, with the duck hunters and in their season crowd, putting their chest waders before they put them up, getting up with me. And we're riding out to some of the, um, you know, some of the shorelines uh, like shark Island and places like that. And we're doing some, some uh, sight casting uh, metal jigs and stuff like that for big upper slot over redfish uh, in the surf, which is pretty fun too, you know, um, um, medium fast action or medium heavy action rod and some one ounce jigs and, and you catch drums some days until you're tired of catching them. So those are kind of the things that I'm going to be doing through the winter. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to right now doing some albacore fishing, putting some, some fly clients and light tackle people on some albacore that, that 23 Seahawk I'm on. And then, uh, I'll be finishing out in the flats and looking for some big schools of drum 
off the beaches too as we get those northeast winds and those those mullet grouping up for those big mullet runs off the beaches you know that's that's what i'll be doing this time of year through through the spring well joe always a pleasure to talk to you man i enjoy the conversation i enjoy your analogies i love your reflections i mean i would I'm going to shine you up a little bit here, man. You're in that category. I think you got your part artist, part scientist. And I think that's a great recipe, man. I appreciate that, Gary. You're, you're, you're probably one of my favorite dudes, man. And I appreciate every opportunity I get to talk fishing with you, man. All right. Well, soon enough, we are going to get out again. But right now, I'm going to say goodbye. And Billy and I are going to wrap up this podcast. All right. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Billy. We'll see you all later. Thanks, Joe. Billy. All right, Gary. Man, such a great episode. First of all, <clears throat> thank you, Joe, for sharing everything. I mean, didn't leave any rock unturned, sharing all the knowledge, everything. So it was great. Uh, I, I, lo I love kayak fishing, so it was a lot of fun to get someone who's been doing it, who spends a lot of time on the water, a lot of those perspectives. Uh, so, yeah, you know. A lot of good, a lot of good takeaways, Gary. I, I was actually just taking notes like crazy here on my phone in my notes app. I'm like taking all kinds of notes about uh, about kayak fishing. So I got plenty of information. I, I should probably do an ebook and release it. Billy's best takeaways. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I he is. He likes to. I mean, he's putting in the work and not just the work, but the yeah. thought, man, I, I'm, it's refreshing. And then even to be on the boat with him, you know, you can get as much fishing knowledge as you want. But as I like, you know, the conversation will wander other directions. And suddenly you're talking about, you know, you know, what, you know, whatever thoughts that sort of pop in, man. He's a he's a great <laughs> dude, man. And yeah, early on, recognize like he's willing to share just about everything, man. He's an ambassador. Yeah, man, definitely good. And my favorite, my favorite thing that he said, and it seems like a no-brainer, is ride where the tide takes you. You know, so many times I think when I, when I personally kayak fish, I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm trying to fight the tide. I'm trying to get to where I want to go or where I think the fish are going. But I grew up fishing the mountains of Tennessee, and so it's same principle. It's like go where, go where the flow is, and and fish all those little nooks and crannies on the way through until you find fish. And so I, I don't know. I never, <laughs> I never thought about the tide moving in a river being the same, you know, in those little creeks, uh, Creek and a river being the same thing. So, uh, I was like light bulb, S super simple, but just ride where the, ride where the tide takes you. Makes sense. Yeah, man. You know, you're not even sure. Wait a second. Is he being philosophical ride where the river, where the current <laughs> takes you? Or is this actually practical knowledge, man? What's he doing, man? And, and that's yeah. again, one of my joys of, Joe Tunstall. Billy, great episode, man. It was awesome, man. Really appreciate everyone who is listening, who's watching. Uh, be sure to share this with one of your fishing buddies if they're real fishy like Joe, and I mean that in the best way possible. Be sure to share this link with them. I've put it down in the show notes. If you want to be a sponsor of the show, reach out to me. Uh, but if nothing else, go support our sponsors. We have Marine Warehouse Center. Uh, we'll take care of you when you're all your boat needs, some fishing needs, and anything for your boat. Go go see those guys. Reach out to them. And they're international, too, so it's not just in Wilmington, North Carolina, and they're in the Charleston area, but they are international, so they will ship you a boat uh, if you need one or ship you whatever you need. Uh, so go check out those guys. And then check out R.A. Hitch as well. 
Uh, they are hooking people up. Literally, they got hitches and bike racks <laughs> and all the stuff you need. Uh, so go see them and tell them the Fish Post guys sent you and get you $20 off. And we really appreciate you watching, listening, and we'll see you next week. See you, Gary. Thank you very much. Fishing.